But good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Mike DeLuca. I am the youth pastor, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. And um, we, we've gone through this series called Legacy. It's been really meaningful for me and my wife, Olivia. And we've been talking a lot about what legacy do we want to leave our daughter, Adeline. There's a couple pictures, and you can all enjoy that more than you can enjoy me. I know, yeah, she's way cuter. She gets it from her mom, not me. How we want to leave a legacy of faith, and we've talked about that, of hope and of love. Last week, that was last week. And then I got thinking about some of the things that my parents passed on to me. And I was thinking, what did they pass on to me? I want to pass on to my daughter. What did my parents pass on to me? And growing up in the DeLuca house, it was fun. It was full of love. We had family dinners every night. We weren't allowed to touch the food unless we were all there. Uh, we occasionally had Bible studies during the week. We had fort building nights with mom, pasta Sundays, candy, Jacob, custom lot, um, Friday night pizza. I can tell he was all boy, yes. Um, and then I got to thinking, what were we not allowed to do? And I asked my dad before I share this story with you, um, and he gave the thumbs up. We were not allowed to slam doors. If we got mad, we could not show it by slamming a door. And I'm the youngest of four. I have three older sisters, so you can imagine. I heard and saw my fair share of door slamming. And if we slammed our door, my dad would wait a minute. He'd calmly walk up the stairs and then knock on the door. Hey, would you mind trying that again? And we'd, oh, yep, that's what he'd say. Calmly, it was infuriating. We'd have to... <laughs> We'd have to open the door calmly, slowly, and he would wait. He would wait there to make sure we did it. Oh man! And uh, <laughs> me being the young, the young brother, I was like, "Look at them! I ain't never gonna do that." Girls, so dramatic. Until one day, <laughs> sorry, I know. Uh, one day, there I go, stomping up the stairs slam the door. And I have no, I, I don't remember what it was. It was probably my parents being good parents and telling me no, or correcting something. But sure enough, here come the calm steps of dad and the calm knock on the door. Would you mind trying that again? <laughs> right? <laughs> you can imagine. I was so mad. Oh, man. What was my dad's intention behind that? Was it just to close the door calmly because he was protecting the wood of the door? No. He was teaching us self-control, respect for authority. And I'd say that those are great things to teach us. My dad, whether he knew it or not, was handing us a legacy. Control, self-control. And I never heard him yell. I saw the same legacies that were passed on to him. I, he, he's never yelled, ever. Never, ever yelled. When he got quieter, that was when you were in trouble. And, and he always had respect for authority, and that's something he passed on to all of us kids. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, because there's also something else that he passed on to us within that environment. Through that lesson, my siblings and I, we also picked up that we weren't allowed to share our emotions. And we had to leave the scene have self-control, deal with it yourself. Definitely don't express it when dad's around or you'll get in trouble. And now, does that sound like the intentional legacy my dad was leaving us? Don't, don't share with me. No, of course not. 
And that's because sometimes, no matter how good our intentions, we leave behind unintended legacies. Welcome to our series. Now, I don't have a tween, I don't have a teen, or a young adult, or a grandkid yet, but I am the youth pastor who gets to serve and work with some of our students. And I know every one of you as parents, and the parents in the room have good intentions in everything you do as parents. I'm also a son, I'm also a friend, I'm also a mentor, a spouse, I've been a coach, and I have good intentions in making all those relationships meaningful, healthy, just like you do. But the truth is, this is, this is what this morning is about, that those good intentions sometimes lead to unintended legacies. And this isn't just about parents. I don't want you to hear all oh, youth pastor talking about parents. No, this is about all of our relationships today. This applies to everyone, students in the room, the young adults in the room, the parents, the grandparents, if you're single, if you're married, every single one of you, despite your good intentions, will leave some type of unintended legacy. And the good news is, you're not alone. Let me introduce you to a guy in Old Testament scripture known as the father of our faith, Abraham. He had incredible faith and obedience in God. If there's anyone in scripture that left a legacy, it's this guy, because this is God's guy. Like, you're my dude. Here's what God says to him in Genesis 12. Let's read it. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If anyone had a legacy to leave for generations, it's Abraham. It's quite the thing that God's setting up for him. But let me show you how good intentions can lead to unintended legacies, because Abraham isn't just known for being the father of our faith. He's also known for a more troubling legacy, if you look closely, if you, if you look deeper. There is a sin issue in Abraham. There is a brokenness that causes him to pass on an unintended legacy through lots of generations. So continuing in Genesis 12, now there was a famine in the land and Abram, who was Abraham, went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, or Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Good job, Abraham. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So Abraham told the Egyptians that his wife Sarah was his sister. Guys, don't, don't do that, right? Why? So that they wouldn't kill him. But Abraham, God just told you that you were going to be like the father of all these nations, and the, the whole earth was going to be blessed through you. So why are you afraid for your life? Now, to be fair, fear was probably a natural response in the face of Egyptians or warriors and brutal. And so if they saw you as a guy and the, your beautiful wife, they'd kill you because they'd want her. So fear was probably natural. But God said this. All right, what happens next? Let's pick up in verse 15. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female ser servants, and camels. So the Egyptians don't kill him. They think Sarah is his sister, and they give Abraham gifts in exchange for her. So his plan worked. His lie was successful. 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. 
So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife, take her, go. Then Pharaoh gave orders to Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Let's fast forward a little bit to when Abram finds himself in a similar situation. Same thing happens, different time, different place, different ruler, Genesis 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She's my sister! Then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Here we go again! Telling everyone that Sarah was his sister, afraid his life was at risk. Why does he lie? He lies because he doesn't trust God. And he feels out of control. So I need to take control. Don't trust God. Trust yourself. Take matters in your own hands. I don't think Abraham woke up one day thinking, yeah, that sounds like a great legacy to pass on to my kids. But that's what he was setting up for his family. God's not trustworthy. I have to take my life in my own hands. And this legacy is what gets passed down. Let me show you. So Abraham's son. Isaac continues the legacy just like his father. Genesis 26. This is Isaac now. When the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife, he thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. Just like dad. He fears for his life, so he lies. She's my sister. They find out she's actually his wife, so they stay away from her, just like Pharaoh. Isaac, just like dad, taking life into his own hands. Then Isaac, let's move on, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Let's see what Jacob picks up from good old dad. Now at this point, Isaac's old, so imagine that he's old, he can't see, he's blind, he's on his deathbed. But before he dies, he wants to offer his firstborn, Esau, not Jacob, Esau, his blessing. In short, Jacob lies to his father, tricks him into thinking he's his brother, and Jacob gets the blessing instead of Esau. Here's where we find it in Scripture, Genesis 27. He went to his father and said, My father! Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, who's Isaac, I am Esau. Lie. You're firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. And Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near me so I can touch you, my son. I can't see you. I want to touch you. To know whether you really are my son Esau or not. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob goes, Yep, I am. Quite the lie Jacob had going on there. He took matters into his own hands. But wait, there's more. I feel like I'm on an infomercial. OxyClean. <laughs> then, then, then Jacob had 12 sons. Here we go. So this is great grandkids of Abraham. Here we go. Jacob had 12 sons. One he favored most, Joseph. And some of you know the story. What happens? Joseph's brothers get jealous, angry with Joseph. They don't like how dad is favoring Joseph. That's another unintended legacy. And Jacob's Sons take matters into their own hands. Can't trust dad. Can't trust God. Let's fix it ourselves. I know what we do. Let's kill Joseph. Let's sell him into slavery. That didn't work. They, 
they take Joseph's clothes, they put some blood on it to, to show dad, to try and trick dad. Oh, yeah, sorry, Joseph died, but we really sold him. Why? Here we find it in scripture, Genesis 37. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Quite the progression of elaborate lies you see through the family tree. So, you know, Abraham had good intentions. He wanted to save his own life. He was trying to take marriage in his own hands from the blessing that God said over him, I'm going to be a father of a nation, so let me make sure I stay alive for that. But it ends up happening, he leaves quite the legacy, quite the unintended one, I must take matters into my own hands. So the generational sin, the unintended legacy that dad, grandpa, great-grandpa showed us was only trust God if things are going good. If not, fix them yourself. This is our family legacy. Push comes to shove. We don't really trust God. One good intention led to an unintended legacy. So what do you do? What do we do with that? How do we discover if we're passing down an unintended legacy? Which we likely are. And then how can we cure them? Well, I'll tell you how we can cure them. I'll tell you what we can do. There's two ways that you can discover them. Okay, first you have to look for them. Think about it for a moment. What unintended legacies have you, have, sorry, have, have your parents passed on to you? What unintended thing have they passed on to you? Yeah, think about that. They, they meant well, they had good intentions, but something bad or unintended passed to you. So first you have to look for it. And then you've got to ask. Parents, what do you think you could be unintentionally passing on to your kids? You have to ask yourself, am I passing that down to my kid? I saw that happen. Was that for me? No, that was definitely mom. Was that for me? No. Or better yet, if you have, if you have kids, literally ask them. That'll be fun. <laughs> and students, if they ask you, tell them. Tell them. If you don't have any kids or if you're single, you know, what do you think you're passing on to your spouse? What about your friends? People you have influence with? Look for what's been passed. You've got to look, then you have to ask, am I passing that on to someone else? I'll give you three examples of how to discover unintended legacies that's prevalent in our community, in our students. But before I do, it'd be easy to list more unintended legacy possible is that occur everywhere, not just this community, but everywhere. You know, like things like addictions and workaholism and anger or alcoholism or legalism, idolatry, favoritism, lust, the list goes on. There's lots out there. You know your family tree better than I do, and you're thinking, thank goodness. You, you have to figure yours out. You have to look and you have to ask. You have to discover it. But recently, I asked my students one night at youth group, to write down a couple answers to this prompt. I wish my parents fill in the blank. I gave them a piece of paper. Just write a couple things down. I wish my parents, and you write it down. And this was done anonymously. So parents, if you're there, I, I have no idea who wrote what, and I was not thinking, oh, we have such bad parents here. 
No, I don't think any of you, if your parents are bad parents. That's not why I did that. I think like my dad, like all parents, you try really hard with the best intentions to raise your kids well. The problem is that sometimes we're also leaving unintended legacy to them. So, but to put all the parents at ease, I'm, or students, really, I'm not going to read them to you today. And here's why. One of the things that we say at youth group is what's said here stays here. At youth group and small groups, what's said here stays here. Unless you're in danger of yourself or someone else, someone's in harm, then that changes. Otherwise, so parents don't ask me after service. <laughs> because I'm not going to tell you. What I will share with you is that most of the responses, if not all, most of them fall under three broad categories. And I'll share those with you. The first is, I'm not worth your time. Not worth your time. And here's how I discovered this one. It wasn't hard to discover, it was thrown right at me. This past year, I took an alumni student out for breakfast, and at the end of it, I go, hey, you know, thanks so much for, you know, getting breakfast. I realized the time, started to wrap up the conversation, you know, hey, we gotta go, starting to get the coat. And he goes, you know, Mike, I'm actually surprised you asked me to get breakfast with you. And I go, why? He goes, well, you know, I could tell you didn't really want to hurt my feelings, but for the longest time, I thought you didn't like me. And I was like, what? Because I enjoyed this student in a lot of ways. Like at youth group, he was just so much fun. And I was like, what? And I was like, okay, um, you know, I'm really sorry. Can you tell me, you know, what made you think that? So I, I, I discovered it, I looked for it, and I asked for it. Can you tell me? He says, well, anytime I try to talk to you at youth group, you never really paid attention to me for more than 10 seconds. Ouch. You'd be looking around at who else is coming and going, and then you'd be on to the next thing. And so the next thing I said was, hey, thanks for your time. I got to go. <laughs> no, just kidding. But that one hit me. I was leaving a legacy of you're not worth my time. Parents, your kids want you. More time with you. And students, guess this, I'm leaving parents off the hook for a little bit. Students, guess what? Your parents are thinking the same thing about you. They want more you, time with you. They don't think that they're worth your time because that's the message you're sending them. Spouse is the same deal. Husbands and wives, your spouses want time with you. Are you making good quality time for each other? How about if you're single with no kids? Let's talk about just simple friendships. Are you making an effort to sacrifice your time or your busy life for someone else. Your relationships need more quality and quantity of time. Okay, the second unintended legacy from asking the students, you don't understand me. You don't know me. You don't understand. And I imagine this happens often with students and parents, but uh, it happens in all relationships. You know, my wife and I, we approach things differently. We're we're, we're wired differently, we, and we see things differently, and that sometimes leads to us not understanding each other. It's mostly because we're not taking the time to listen and actually understand what the other person is trying to say without all of the background of what happened last time or other things. In your relationships, are you taking the time to listen and understand well? I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a famous theologian, he says this about listening. A kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say is an impatient, inattentive listening that is only waiting for a chance to speak. I also like how one of the writers of the blog, Desiring God, Dave Mathis, puts it. 
He says, poor listening diminishes another person while good listening invites them to exist and matter. Or the ultimate source of wisdom, Proverbs 18 says, it is the fool who takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. Parents, your students desire to be heard and most importantly, they desire to be understood. In all relationships, you, you feel that too. You desire to be understood. Mark Gregson, who was here a couple weeks ago, he, he mentioned that he listens way more than he talks, and when the conversation is over, even though he says barely anything or almost nothing, people always are so thankful. Hey, thanks for listening. Now, this third one is where we're going to spend most of the rest of our time. It's the, it's the toughest one, and it's the one that hits home with all of us most, and it is my value is based on my performance. My value is based on my performance. I think this is the deepest one. Now why do I think that? Well, recently I've been saying to a lot of people who have been really tough on themselves when I hear them just criticize themselves, and I'll go, hey, like your value to me isn't based on your performance. And they all had one thing in common. They all did this. Every single time I said that this is what they did. Every single time, every single one of them. Why was that their response? Hey, your value is not based on your performance to me. It's because that message is everywhere. From parents, from friends, from teachers, coaches, bosses, you name it. If I perform well, then I'm valued. We get praised with the wins, not really for the losses. And this is nothing new. I mean, Pastor John was sharing about leaving a legacy of love last week and spoke of the story of the prodigal son. If you remember that, what was the core of the story last week? It was both sons, the good son and the bad son. They thought that their value to their father was based on what they had done. I got to perform to earn dad's love. This issue is as old as time. Okay, so now we discovered those three. Now what? I've looked, I've asked, I've got it, thanks Mike, now what? Well, for whatever the unintended legacy is, doesn't matter what it is, once you discover it, you need to do whatever possible, whatever you can to break that. For some it's rehab, for some it's counseling, saying no to things that, so you have time, so it's listening, it's not trying to win arguments, it's whatever is in your power. You have to break that legacy. Let me give you an example of how to break a legacy. Let me show you. And let's use uh, the one of my values based on my performance. And Mark Gregson said it best. He says, it matters more how you love people when they're at their worst. Okay. And what I think he meant is, we've got to show such incredible, unbelievable, extravagant grace to people in all of our relationships when they don't think they deserve it. That's what they get, and it changes the trajectory of their life. I'll show you what I mean. Remember earlier, we got Abraham, and we got Isaac, we got Jacob, we got Jacob's sons, we got Joseph. They all left Jacob's Jacob's other son, Joseph, was left with the legacy of, remember, take matters into your own hands. Don't trust God. You fix it yourself. But somehow that's not what Joseph is remembered for. What was the, one of the unintended legacies left him? So what happened? How did that shift? Because he, he changed things. 
In this case, in Joseph's case, it's grace. By the grace of God, Joseph escaped attempted murder. He endured slavery. He persevered through unrighteously being put in jail. And then one day he was in a position of power, was put face to face with the very people, his brothers, that caused him years of suffering. He had the opportunity, even the scores, and he had the chance to keep that legacy going. But watch what happens. And we got to imagine the scene here. There's a severe famine in the land, and the only people that had food were the Egyptians. Everywhere else, no food. Which, by God's grace, Joseph was placed in a position of authority and therefore capable of helping. And at first, you see Joseph, this old legacy being passed down to him, creep out of him towards his brothers. Genesis 46 and 42. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him, their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended, lie, to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. So Joseph pretends to not recognize his brothers. And if you read the story more, his brothers have no clue it's him because they haven't seen him in, in years. And Joseph devises a plan to get his brothers even thrown in jail. I'm taking life into my own hands. Ignore God's grace to me these past chunk of years. It's time to get even. But then his brothers beg for mercy and Joseph changes his mind. Genesis 45. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And I ha- when I read that, in, in terms of what we're talking about, I ask the question, why? Why would Joseph switch? I mean, dude, you had him. It would have been poetic justice. Yeah, they deserve it. And then Joseph says, verse 5, And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing nor reaping but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. (laughs) He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph breaks the legacy given to him. Why? How? That wasn't the legacy passed on to him. You know, brothers, dad, grandpa, great-grandpa, they didn't trust God. They took matters into their own hands. But Joseph, no, not Joseph. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to offer grace. And not just a passing, you know, pat on the shoulder. Hey, it's fine. Here's some grain. He blesses them. He gives them the best that he has to offer. Joseph breaks the legacy Not because he was a good person. You see it earlier, he wanted to get even. He wanted it. He even lied first. But because he knew the grace of God that saved him from every hardship, he knew it. He knew it. The only way he was able to give extravagant grace and break the legacy was because he knew how much grace had been given to him. The legacy went from don't trust God, it's on you, to I acknowledge God and, I, and the grace given to me, so I'm going to be one who gives grace. He intentionally does the opposite of what students and really all of you tend to experience. Joseph shows his brothers what Jesus shows to you. Unmerited favor. 
unmerited favor. And as a result, the consequences of the unintentional legacy that they handed Joseph was broken. He gives them what they don't deserve. Grace. Guess what? You need it too. Grace. So let me tell you a quick story about Mike. I was a sophomore in college, and, and I was an RA, a resident assistant. Kind of like a mini youth pastor for kids in college, I guess, whatever. And at the time, I would, I would talk a good talk, you know, being a Christian dude, I guess. I would try to show how good a Christian I was, but really, I wasn't living purposefully for God. I was living for me. Who I was was wrapped up in my reputation, my social status, my athletic ability. I was pretty selfish. I was not a good friend. I was not a good boyfriend. I was not a good teammate. I was not even the best student. As a matter of fact, one day I decided it was necessary and okay to cheat on a paper. Copy and paste. Here you go. And of, I, I know. And of course, you know, I got caught. And then my life changed. I get fired as an RA. Student life was just like, you want to tell me about this? I get fired as an RA. I can't play intramurals. Can't play on the baseball team. Have to move all of my stuff out of my RA, nice big spacious dorm across campus to a small little dinkier dorm. I mean, they were gracious in letting me stay at the school. Here's what you have to do. Moving across campus, I lost friends, lost a girlfriend, lost the teammates. The kicker was, it's a small school. It's smaller than all the high schools around here. So guess what? Everyone knows everyone's business. You don't know, you don't know what that feels like ever, right? Not only was I losing everything I defined myself with, identified myself with, but everyone knew about it. My reputation was gone on display for everyone to see as I lug stuff between my rooms. Boy, was I ashamed. But that's not what changed me. Telling my dad was not a proud moment for me because he was tough on us when it came to grades. And I remember calling him on the phone, explaining what happened, radio silence for a little bit. I'll be right there. Where before it was, remember the door slamming, hey, you need to control your emotions. Go and figure it out, and then come back to me. Then we can talk. Get yourself under control, and then we can connect. But now it was, I'll be right there. I'm coming to you. So he drove down to meet me, helped me pack my things, helped me move across campus amidst people watching, helped me set up my new room, then before he leaves, I'm trying to say goodbye so I can go bury my head in my pillow, give him one of those quick, hey, thanks for coming, Dad, I'll call you. I, I remember feeling completely ashamed in his presence. And then he puts his, his hand on my shoulder, and he go, you know, my head, it goes down. Remember, my value is based on my performance, so eyes down, head down. And he goes, Michael, look at me. <laughs> Michael. Look at me, you know, reluctantly going, mm. holding it all together, control your emotions, control your emotions, control your emotions. And then he says, I'm proud of you. And that's when tears start to flow. 
but I messed, Dad, I don't have to tell you, but I messed up. I'm, I'm broken here, Dad. Everyone knows. Everyone was looking. Everyone's talking. I can't get away from it right now. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're my son, and I'm proud of you. That's what healed me. And it was in that moment that I experienced the love and the extravagant grace of God because I knew myself pretty well. I knew my brokenness pretty well. I knew the sin, the debt that I had built up. It was more than just about a silly paper. It was in every area of my life. I was putting myself first, my wants first, my comfort first, and I had hurt and let down a whole bunch of people. And in this one weekend, God changed me. It was the grace of God through the grace of my dad. Broke the legacy. The grace of God through the grace of my dad broke the legacy. So no matter what you do, you are going to leave a legacy. And sometimes it's going to be an unintended one. But extravagant grace was what healed all of those negative legacies for me. I'm not worth your time. My dad put everything else that was going on and said, I'll be right there. You're worth my time. You don't really know me. My dad was there in my worst of moments. Let me see you when you're at a mess. My value is based on my performance. No, no it wasn't. It matters more how you love people when they're at their worst. It's easy to love people when they're doing great, when they're giving you love. When they're at their worst, that's when you love them. How do I do that? How do I show grace? The only way you're going to be able to do that, break some legacies today, this week, you have to discover them. You have to look. You have to ask. You have to do everything you can to cure them. And in this case, that my value is based on my performance, you understand the grace first given to you by God, and then you go and give people grace. When you feel the depths of your brokenness, the depths of your brokenness, and the heights of the grace that beats it, you'll be able to show extravagant grace. Joseph broke the legacy. He didn't take matters in his own hands. My dad broke the legacy for me. He showed the grace of God. Now you should go and show it too. Let's stand as we close.